I was thinking about all the jobs I've held over the years. For a little while I worked in a frozen orange juice factory, but I had to quit because I just couldn't concentrate. Welcome to Across the Table, the podcast of Hannibal the Magician. I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to get political. I have opinions and I have things that I want to say, honestly. But this is not a political podcast. And for the best of my knowledge, you don't tune in and listen to me to hear my thoughts on politics. And honestly, I don't... While I, while I certainly pick sides, I am not affiliated with, with one side or the other. I'm kind of fiercely independent and... I have my own point of view on things, and I agree on certain points of view, and I disagree on certain points of view. But man, there certainly seems to be an awful lot of hate running around out there, and that's the thing that really bothers me the most. It is, it is the lack of empathy. It is the, the lack of, of feeling, of human kindness, of, of, of wanting to love one's fellow man, and people waving religious flags or, or flags of their faith and at the same time proclaiming that we are better than you or this this group of human beings is 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 somehow better or more privileged or more entitled than than this group over here and this doesn't just doesn't fall comfortably within my feeling of love one another which is really the biggest message that I took away from all of the religious upbringing that I got, that our, our very first priority, our very first responsibility is simply to love one another. And I wish I saw more of that. And honestly, all I can do is do my best to live up to that that ideal as best I possibly can. And you know, it's no, it's not always easy. And I and I can feel the indignation and the and the anger rising up within me, and I strive every single day to not let that turn into hate for anyone. There's an awful lot of us versus them out there, and this is not an original thought with me. Uh, I've heard several people saying it over the past couple of years. It is not us versus them. It is us versus us. We, we are together here. We are, <laughs> we are locked in here in this room together with us and with ourselves, and it, it seems such a waste to, to hate or to, to, to try to demoralize someone else or to uh, sub, make someone subservient to you or, or, or raise your voices about how someone ought to act. I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to even start bringing up specific topics. I'm getting dangerously close to that. If you're listening to me, if you have any love for me at all, examine your heart as I, as I am examining mine. And remember that love is everything. Yeah, it's cliche. Yeah, it's my theme song, which, hey, Ted, if you're listening, thank you for the work that you're doing uh, on, that, uh, on that little ditty. Uh, it means more to me than I can possibly express to you. Love is everything. Love is everything. The time here is short, and 
I don't know, perhaps I just don't understand that kind of ambition, the kind of ambition that leads someone to hate someone else. Or to... Yeah. So, hey, welcome. That's my that's my mini rant gone for the day. Um, I want to take a moment or two to, to address some questions that came up, one publicly and some others that were private, uh, about the relationship between me and my father. And I think I've said what I wanted to say about that, but one in particular came up, well, two people brought it up, asking about his father, about his home life, and uh, how he grew up, and how maybe I thought it affected our relationship. And I was just talking to Sarah a few moments ago, and we uh, told her about um, my paternal grandfather, and I wrote a little bit on the, on the, I wrote, well, I wrote a bit, actually, on the Patreon page, uh, about it, but I'll share it here as well. So my uh, my dad's mother, um, Virginia or Ginny, uh, her first husband was uh, was Robert Edward Smith, and um, that is my dad's dad, Robert Edward Smith. And my father was originally named uh, Robert Smith Jr. Well. Uh, shortly after discovering that Ginny was expecting my father, uh, he fucked off. He left. He uh, he did not wish to be a parent. Uh, he uh, there were some words exchanged about we agreed that we wouldn't have children, but anyway, he uh, he took off. He just uh, he didn't want to be a dad, and before my father was even born, he was gone. Um. So he grew up with a. A uh, single mom. She uh, she uh, eventually was able to divorce her first husband, but she was a single mother. You know, around this is around 1938, 1939, and so her power was somewhat limited as far as what she could and could not do. But uh, time moves on, and the story keeps evolving, and we follow the path that we lead. And she met another gentleman whose last name was Hannibal. And they were married, and he helped to raise my father in his formative years. He was a very good man. Uh, he was a very fair, just man from everything that I heard. And, and, and believe me when I tell you, the stories that I know are very few and far between. Uh, Dad did not like to talk about his childhood or his past or, or anything. It just He didn't want to talk about it, and so that was kind of the end of it, you know. Um Mr. Hannibal, my grandfather, step-grandfather, Mr. Hannibal, uh, passed away young. I believe he, was, he perished in an, in an accident. And my father uh, was devastated by the loss of this parental figure, this father figure. And when he turned 18, he had his name changed to Hannibal, uh, from Smith to Hannibal. So that, uh, that explains the origin of my semi-stage name, uh, my father picked it, chose it, made himself Hannibal. And so I eventually became Hannibal too. Um, when I was about, I don't know, I had to be eight or nine years old, maybe ten, uh, we were living in TGK in South Carolina. My dad had made a very good success of himself. He had gone through the Army and learned uh, electrical engineering, and he learned architecture, and he came out, and he was very, very successful at what he did because he's a very straight-line thinker. 
and he made a little bit of money, and we he, he built with his own hands. He built a house in TKK, South Carolina. And I was a latchkey kid, came home from school and uh, was by myself for a few hours, which you know, never, never a problem, never became anything. But one afternoon, I got a call from the security gate. We were a uh, gated, closed community, and uh, said that there was a, a gentleman that wanted to come to the house, wanted to come see uh, my parents. When I told security they weren't home, they gave me his name, uh, Robert Smith. And uh, I didn't know the name at the time. No idea who he was. Told security I didn't know who he was, and I was alone, and my parents weren't there, and they turned him away. A few hours later, after my parents had come home, uh, and I told them about the mysterious person that was trying to come in the front gate, um, my dad recognized it, knew, knew what it was talking about, so that when his father, who he had not seen in many, many decades, uh, called a little later that evening and asked if he could come over, my dad invited him to dinner, and they, we all had dinner together, and they had a brief conversation, and I, I met my dad's dad. And then when dinner was over, my father invited him to get his coat and leave and not come back. Uh, the advice was somewhere along the lines of, thank you for stopping by. I'm glad my son got to meet you. It's time to go now or lose your teeth, something along that lines. And uh, Robert Edward Smith Sr. walked out of my life at that point, and I have never seen him since. Never missed him either. Um, apparently, my dad also had a half-brother named Robbie uh, from Mr. Smith Sr. Uh, that I've met. I met once or twice, and he was, uh, he was a good deal older than me, but a good deal younger than my father, so there you go. So that's the kind of home life my dad had. I don't know if that answers questions or raises even more of them, but that's uh, that's where we came and went. I was thinking earlier this week about where I've ended up. Um, and I know I've expressed this here before, but living a dream I didn't even know that I had. Uh, I am doing this uh, 13, the, the theatrical seance show. And the creative freedom that I get over to it is, is so overwhelming. And the beauty of the place that I get privileged to live in is also overwhelming. And I never honestly thought I would get anything like this. And I certainly never expected anything this specific. If I, if I was to tell you, you know, earlier, if you'd asked me earlier, I would tell you, you know, my own theater and a magic show. And while this does kind of fit that, it came from a direction I never expected. And as always, my advice from that is keep working. Keep following the things that you do, the gifts that you've been given, and what the craft that you love, and really, really make it your own, and the opportunities will open up for you. Uh, very, very likely in very unexpected ways. Before it all began, in the leaner years, in the in the pre-magician days, before I ever, you know, <laughs> I ever became this person or started working towards the life that. I wanted or that I that I guess I deserved or that the, the plan that was set out in front of me before I was a full-time performer I held tons of different kinds of jobs I you know of course I worked as a, I worked as a server and I worked in fast food and I worked in 
I think the shortest job I ever had is I worked for a a denture a company, a factory that created dentures, you know, specifically for certain people. And they gave me a tour. They said, I got the job. I, I had interviewed with the job, um, not exactly knowing what it was I was going to be doing. But uh, I interviewed for the job, and I got the job. And I got a tour of the factory, and, and I got a tour of the people that were, were carving, you know, carving out new teeth for people. And we walked up and down the aisles, and they explained to me what my job was going to be doing, and I got introduced to the, to the foreman and to the managers and everything else. And it was, it was very fascinating and somewhat scientific. And then I pictured myself tediously polishing teeth for eight hours a day for the next who knew how long. And I thanked them at the end of the tour, and I said, this job is not for me. I, I appreciate the time. I'm sorry if you feel, you know, but uh, having looked at it, I cannot see myself doing this. And I left, packed up, got done. And, and never looked back at it. There, there was something about me that I thought, I, I, this, this job could, could ruin me, could ruin my mindset. It's, it'd be so easy to fall into this tedious work that it's important, you know, and nothing against the people that do it, but, man, it wasn't going to be me. Anyway, I'm completely off topic, but, yeah, it was a, uh, I was a denture creator, not even, for 10, 15 minutes. But... Uh, right before the magic thing happened, actually right before Heritage happened that made me into a magician, uh, I drove a truck and I delivered furniture and the days were long and exhausting and the work was really unfulfilling, though it did have its moments. I looked at my coworkers and I used to wonder where they would rather be and what their dreams were and then I learned not to ask because Sometimes asking what someone's dream was and what they would rather be doing would make them really, really angry. Like I had, uh, like I had opened a door that they had firmly locked and, and didn't want to look in again themselves. And I kept promise, promising myself that I would never end up like that, that I would never be trapped in, in work and wishing I was somewhere else. But, you know, I've also... <laughs> not knowing where or when that break was going to come from. Um, some days I would ride my bike to work and uh, because uh, my wife would, would need the car. We had a car and she'd need to do some, you know, need to do things. You know, there were, you know, errands to be run and children to be picked up and dropped off. And so we lived a couple of miles away and I had a bike and I would often just take the bike to work. As I don't know. I guess if I really thought about it, it was more like eight miles. Uh, because it was, I lived on one side of Charlotte, and the furniture company I worked for was on the other side of Charlotte. But you get there through back uh, neighborhoods, and and a lot of the drive, a lot of the ride was through like green shaded back neighborhoods, and that was really, really peaceful to drive through, to ride through, to bike through. I would look at these big ivy-covered houses and dream of what they looked like inside. And later in the day at work, I might even get to see the inside of them because I, I delivered bookcases and beds and desks and entertainment centers to some of these really well-to-do people in some of these nice big houses. And at the end of the day, 
I'd go back to the little house we lived in. Two bedrooms and all the kids in, in one. <laughs> I had an attic fan and a, and a big metal grate in the floor that was the heating system. I mean, not like little ones all scattered through the house, but like literally one big one, like big, six by six feet. <laughs> Just in the in the floor, you could not walk on it with bare feet when the heat was on. And there would be love and laughter waiting inside that tiny house every time I get back to it. Didn't feel an awful lot in the big houses and the big empty rooms and the in the rooms where you were uh, you were forbidden to go in because uh, you know fancy furniture and fancy uh, fancy things. And so the you know the only for company uh, rooms. There were some of those houses that felt lonely, really, really lonely. Big and, and you know, and, uh, and beautiful and uh, well thought out and well decorated and well, but not a lot of heart. And my little house had heart and lots of laughter and stories to tell and stories to keep and books to be read and reread and reread out loud over and over again. I really like reading out loud to people. It's a, it's a way I show them I love them. And if this magic thing, this, this, this thing that I'm doing now, if I could not perform anymore, if I, if I lost the technique in my hands, if I just couldn't... Uh, well, let me put it this way. This gift that I have is, is, uh, is more of a loan it's as though I've got this thing and I'm very, very good at it. The storytelling, the performing, I'm really good and I have no trouble saying that because I believe it. But I also recognize that it could go away uh, and it could go away quickly. One of my mentors a couple of days ago suffered a stroke working in Key West, Florida. He's there in the lap of luxury and he's doing what he loves and he's making a fine living and seeing the world and right in the middle of a, of a show, he had a massive stroke, and uh, he's got to rethink where his life goes from here. So the gift could be taken away, and, and, and maybe someday it will. But if I was left without the ability to perform, if I was left without the ability to communicate the way that I do now and tell the stories the way that I do now, if the curtain came down and it was, you know, you're done. You did well with the gift. You did well with the loan. Proud of you for what you did, but we have to take it back now. I think if that came around and it was, you know, like it is, like it's just me, I think I'd like to drive a bus. Just become a bus driver, like a uh, driving a bus long distances all across the country, back and forth, seeing the, the beauty that is out there to be seen and living life in an adventure that way, and carrying people who were on their way from one place to another, deliver them to new adventures. Or maybe just... Maybe just bring them home. Bring them back to where there's light and laughter and love in their lives. That'd be a worthy goal, wouldn't it? But for now... 
I stare in disbelief at the anger and the hatred in the world. And I pick up my instruments. I take the tools of my trade. And I try to be a buffer. And I try to offer hope. And I try to make those people dance. Make them smile. And ease the burden that they have. And hopefully they can take that home with them. And share it with the people that share their lives and share their love. And that's the most noble pursuit that I can think of. At least that I'm capable of doing. I'll never design and build a house. But I can love my dad for who he was. And for all the gifts that he gave to me. And I can be thankful with that. I hope there's love right where you are. I may not know exactly where this road is taking me. I know that I'm exactly right where I'm supposed to be. The journey is long, full of joy and pain. As long as you're smiling, I'll stand in the rain. I've got nothing left to give other than love. But the funny thing about that is, love is everything.
love 